0: The Orange Yellow Diamond by J. S. Fletcher. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Two, Mrs. Goldmark's Eating House. Loriston thrust his hands in his pockets and looked at the girl in sheer perplexity. She was a very pretty dark girl, nearly as tall as himself, slender and lism of figure and decidedly attractive. There was evident sense of fun and humour in her eyes, and about the corners of her lips. He suddenly got an idea that she was amused at his embarrassment.
1: "'How much can you lend me?' he asked. "'What—what's it worth?'
0: "'No, that's not it,' she answered. "'It's—what do you want to borrow? You're not used to pledging things, are you?'
1: "'No,'
0: replied Loriston
1: this is the first time can can you lend me a few pounds the
0: girl picked up the watch again and again examined it
2: i'll lend you
1: three pounds
2: fifteen on it
0: she said suddenly in business-like tones
2: that do
1: thank you replied loriston that'll do very well i'm much obliged i suppose i can have it back any time
2: any time you bring the
0: money and pay the interest
1: replied the girl
0: Within twelve calendar months and seven days. She picked up a pen and began to fill out a ticket. Got any copper? she asked presently. Copper? exclaimed Loriston. What for? The ticket, she answered. Then she gave him a quick glance and just as quickly looked down again. Never mind, she said. I'll take it out of the loan. Your name and address, please. Loriston presently took the ticket and the little pile of gold, silver, and copper which she handed him, and he lingered.
1: "'You'll take care of that watch,'
0: he said suddenly.
1: "'It was my father's, you see.'
0: The girl smiled, reassuringly, and pointed to a heavy-built safe in the rear. "'We've all sorts of family and looms in there,' she observed. "'Make yourself easy.' Lauriston thanked her, raised his hat, and turned away unwillingly he would have liked an excuse to stop longer and he did not quite know why but he could think of none so he went with a backward look when he got to the door the pretty pawnbroker smiled and nodded and at the next moment he was out on the street with money in his pocket and a strange sense of relief which was mingled with one of surprise for he had lived for the previous four days on a two-shilling piece and there all the time close by him had been a place where you could borrow money easily and very pleasantly his first thought was to hurry to his lodgings and pay his landlady he owed her six weeks rent at ten shillings a week that would take three pounds out of the money he had just received but he would still have over fourteen shillings to be going on with, and surely those expected letters would come within the next few postal deliveries. He had asked the editor, who had taken two short stories from him, to let him have a cheque for them, and in his inexperience had expected to see it arrive by return of post. Also, he had put his pride in his pocket, and had written a long letter to his old schoolmate, John Purdy, in far away Scotland, explaining his present circumstances, and asking him, for old time's sake, to lend him some money until he had finished and sold a novel, which, he was sure, would turn out to be a small gold mine. John Purdy, he knew, was now a wealthy young man successor to his father in a fine business, Lauriston felt no doubt that he would respond. And meantime, till the expected letters came, he had money. And when you have lived for four days on two shillings, fourteen shillings seems a small fortune. Certainly within the last half hour, life had taken on a rosette tinge, all due to a visit to the pawn shop. Hurrying back along Praed Street, Lauriston's steps were suddenly arrested. He found himself unconsciously hurrying by an old-fashioned eating-house. From whence came an appetizing odor of cooking food. He remembered then that he had eaten nothing for four-and-twenty hours. His landlady supplied him with nothing. Ever since he had gone to her he had done his own catering, going out for his meals. The last meal on the previous evening had been a glass of milk and a stale, though sizable bun, and now he felt literally ravenous. It was only by an effort that he could force himself to pass the eating house. Once beyond its door, he ran, ran until he reached
1: his lodgings and slipped three sovereigns into Mrs. Flintwick's hands. That'll make us right to this weekend, Mrs. Flintwick," he said put the receipt in my room
0: and greatly obliged i am to you mr loriston
1: answered the landlady
0: and sorry indeed you should have had to put yourself into the trouble but
1: all right all right no trouble no trouble at all
0: exclaimed loriston
1: quite easy i assure you
0: he ran out of the house again and back to where he knew there was food he was only one-and-twenty a well-built lad with a healthy appetite which until very recently had always been satisfied, and just then he was feeling that unless he ate and drank something he knew not what would happen. He was even conscious that his voice was weakening, when having entered the eating-house and dropping into a seat in one of the little boxes into which the place was divided, he asked the waitress for the food and drink which he was now positively aching for and he had eaten a plateful of fish and two boiling eggs and several thick slices of bread and butter and drunk the entire contents of a pot of tea before he even lifted his eyes to look round him by that time he was conscious of satisfaction and he sat up and inspected the place to which he had hurried so eagerly and in the same moment he once more saw milky milky had evidently just entered the little eating-house evidently too he was in no hurry for food or drink he had paused just within the entrance at a desk which stood there whereat sat mrs goldmark the proprietress a plump pretty young woman whose dark flashing eyes turned alternately from watching her waitresses to smiling on her customers as they came to the desk to pay their bills Melky, his smart bullycock hat cocked to one side his sporting look overcoat adorned with a flower was evidently paying compliments to mrs goldmark as he leaned over her desk she gave him a playful push and called to a waitress to order mr rubenstein a nice steak and Melky, turning from her with a well-satisfied smile caught sight of loriston and sauntered down to the table at which he sat
2: "'Get your bit of business done all right?'
0: he asked, confidentially, as he took a seat opposite his fellow-lodger and bent towards him.
1: "'Find the old gent accommodating?' "'I didn't see him,'
0: answered Loriston.
1: "'I saw a young lady.'
2: "'My cousin Zilla,'
0: said Milky.
1: "'Smart girl, that, mister. Worth
2: a pile of money to the old man. She knows as much about the business as what he does.' "'You wouldn't think, mister.'
0: he went on in his soft lisping
2: tones but that girl's had a college education fact old daniel he took her to live with him when her father and mother died she being a little un then and he gave her ah uh, such an education as i wish i'd had see she's quite the lady is Zilla. but sticks to the old shop
1: not half neither she seems very businesslike,"
2: remarked loriston
0: secretly pleased that he had now learned the pretty pawnbroker's name
1: she soon did what i wanted in
2: the blood
0: said Melky laconically
2: we're all of us in that sort of business one way or another now between you and me mister what did she lend you on that bit of stuff three pounds fifteen
0: replied loriston
2: that's about it
0: assented Melky with a nod he leaned a little nearer
2: you don't want to sell the ticket
0: he suggested.
1: "'Give you a couple quid for it if you do.' "'You seem very anxious to buy that watch,'
0: said Loristan, laughing.
1: "'No, I don't want to sell the ticket. Not I. I wouldn't part with that watch for worlds.' "'Well, if you don't, you don't,'
2: remarked Melky. "'And as to wanting to buy, that's my trade. I ain't no regular business. I buy and sell anything that comes handy in the gold and silver line. And as you ain't going to part with that ticket on no consideration, "'I'll tell you what it's worth, old as it is—fifteen quid.'
1: "'That's worth knowing, anyway,' said Loriston. "'I shall always have something by me, then, while I have that. "'You'd have made a profit of a nice bit, then, if I'd sold it to you.' "'It'd be a poor world, mister, if you didn't get no profit, wouldn't it?'
0: assented Melky calmly.
2: "'We're all of us out to make profit. "'Look here, between you and me. "'You're a literary gent, ain't you? "'Write a bit, what?' Do you want to earn a fiver? Comfortable? I should be very glad,
0: replied Lauriston.
2: There's a friend of mine,
0: continued Melky.
2: Wholesale jeweler, down Shoreditch Way. Wants to get out a catalogue? He ain't no literary powers, don't you see? Now, he'd run to a fiver, cash down. If some writing fella had touched things up a bit for him, like... Lord bless you, it wouldn't take you more than a day's work. What do you say to it?
1: "'I wouldn't mind earning five pounds at that,' answered Loriston.
2: right
0: said Melky,
2: "'Then some day next week I'll take you down to see him. He's away till then, and you'll pay me ten percent on the bit of business, won't you, mister? Business
1: is business, ain't it?' "'All right,'
0: agreed Loriston.
1: "'That's a bargain, of course.'
0: Milky nodded and turned to his stake, and Loriston presently left him and went away the plump lady at the desk gave him a smile as she handed him his change hope to see you again sir she said loriston went back to his room feeling that the world had changed he had paid his landlady he had silver and copper in his pocket he had the chance to earn five pounds during the coming week and he expected a check for his two stories by every post and if John Purdy made him the loan he had asked for, he would be able to devote a whole month to finishing his novel, and then, perhaps, there would be fame and riches. The dismal November evening disappeared in a dream of hope. But by the end of the week, hope was dropping to zero again with Loriston. No letters had arrived, either from John Purdy, or the editor. On the Sunday morning he was again face to face with the last half-crown. He laid out his money very cautiously that day, but when he had paid for a frugal dinner at a cheap coffee shop, he had only a shilling left. He wandered into Kensington Gardens that Sunday afternoon, wondering what he had best do next. And as he stood by the railings of the ornamental water, watching the water fowls' doings, somebody bade him good day, and he turned to find the pretty girl of the pawn shop standing at his side and smiling shyly at him. Chapter two.